All right. So the big news here at the podcast is our intern, Chloe Thang, has been promoted to our regular writing staff. Well done, Chloe. Nice work. Now, as a listener of the program, you're probably wondering, well, how does this affect you? Well, it affects you immediately because she wrote today's opening. Let's see how she did. Here we go. Chloe Thang's first regular opening line for the podcast. Here we go. Every now and then, music lands on your desk that lights you up for the rest of your life. Oh, I see what you did there, Chloe. Very clever. I like it. You're going to see what she did, too. Just give it a minute and 33 seconds, and you'll find out why Chloe just crushed it. I'm Alex Green. Trust me, she did crush it. And this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Well, of my guest today on the program, Wendy Lands. Let me tell you a little bit about Wendy Lands. It's a good thing we promoted her because Chloe was right. Back in the late 90s, Wendy Lands' debut album, Angels and Ordinary Men, landed, good pun Chloe, on my desk in the form of a package from Canada, and I dove right in. Falling somewhere between Beth Orton's Trailer Park and Sade's Stronger Than Pride, Angels and Ordinary Men was a revelation. It was soulful, it was atmospheric, it was melodic, it was rich, and it was filled with musical finesse and jazzy textures that made repeat listens more and more rewarding. So who is Wendy Lance, and what in the devil has she been up to since her marvelous debut album? Well, she's going to fill you in far better than I ever could. But in the meantime, let me give you some quick details. In the early 90s, the Montreal-born, Toronto-raised Wendy Lands cut her musical teeth doing theater and playing in a pop band called Double Dare. Her debut album, Angels and Ordinary Men, spawned two top 40 hits and landed her a Juno nomination for Best Solo Artist in 1997. She toured with Chan Arden, grabbed two Canadian Radio Music Award nominations, and as a side hustle, she recorded a series of commercial voiceovers. 
Keep that last bit in mind. She moved to L.A. to be a songwriter, writing numbers with Paul Williams and Melissa Manchester, then moved back to Canada a few years later, where she released two more fabulous albums, Mumble and Altitude. Now, when it comes to Wendy Land's resume, remember, this is a partial list. Wendy's going to fill in the blanks on all the stuff I missed. But just to bring you up to speed, her main gig now is being a widely respected voice actor. Is there new music simmering? Of course there is, but I'll defer to her on that one as well. Look, Wendy Lands is wonderful. Her voice is smooth and stunning. Her vocal poise and phrasing is otherworldly. And aside from her gifts behind the mic as a musician and as a voice actor, she's one of the nicest, coolest, funniest people ever. I love this conversation. I hope you do too. Here you go. Me and Wendy Lands having a chat right here on Stereo Embers. The podcast. This is, maybe I'm projecting because I'm the same way. If I'm really busy, I'm an engine of efficiency. Like the busier yeah. I am, yes. the Yes, yes, yes. If you want a job done well, give it to a busy person. Right. Exactly. Right. I'm that. I'm that. You don't seem like someone who wastes time. Is that right? How, could, how would you know that? But I wouldn't so know wise. that at all. I just, just looking at what you do and, and how, how active and busy you are with your work, um, you don't seem like a, like a person who, who wastes time. No, I'm not a person who wastes time. And I think it's because when I was a kid, I watched a ton of TV. I'm an only child. I had a single mom who worked and I would come home from school, not do my homework, procrastinate and just watch whatever reruns were on after school one day at a time and <laughs> the Munsters and Gilligan's Island. And, and while I was doing it at like the age of 10, I was feeling guilty. Your life is passing you by, Wendy. Was There was, you know, a voice in my head at that age. Wow. It was like I was like, it was like a, a type A in the making. I wasn't there yet. You know, so when I finally became an adult, I was like, now I can just do things that I want to do and I can fill my life up with all my interests and curiosities. It's interesting that 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 it felt wrong at age yeah. 10. Yeah. Where did I get that from? I mean, it's I had it, too. I'm Jewish. That may have something to do with it. I oh, don't... me, too. That okay. may. There you go. <laughs> I'm afraid you're right. I think it's like yeah. yeah, our ancestors tapping us on the shoulder and saying, what are you doing watching one day at a time? You could be writing a song. Damn it. Right. I don't know if yeah. you guys did MTV or was it much music at that point? Well, yeah, we had much music. Okay. Were you doing yes. any music gazing? Were you watching videos over and over again? Oh, my God. Yeah. I think I, I, when, yes, in those days, I think it was Channel 57. Uh, I think, and it would that would be my my first instinct every day when I would turn on the TV. It would be on Much Music because 
music was my life. Right. And my best friend was the girl VJ on Much. So I was kind of, you know, really in, in that world. Were you also building a kind of mythology? Like I, because I was, when I was watching video after video, I was building this kind of mythology about the world based on all these mm -hmm. videos I was watching, whether it was Death Leopard or it was Flock of Seagulls. And I thought it just, it was like uh, this universe was getting beamed in to me. And I went, oh my God, this is, all my ideas about the world were formed through those early oh, videos. That's so interesting. I have to say no, but I found it disappointing because I musically, <clears throat> I related more to the singer-songwriter girls of the 70s. And oh. by the time I was old enough to be a singer-songwriter girl, yeah, it was all that stuff. And so it wasn't so much the world, but it was the world of music was disappointing to me. There was the odd, like, Cindy Lauper's Time After Time you know, that was like, I just clung to that song, you know, that was everything to me, but there wasn't enough of that going on. So it was my sense of what was going on in music was really upsetting me. And I felt like, where do I fit? Where, where am I going to fit into this? Because I still want to be me and I still want to do what I do. So you weren't seeing what you wanted to see. No, I wasn't. I was compromising in those days. I was compromising. I was like, yeah, you're rhythmic. She sings really well, but it's so electronic. But okay. You know, I was compromising a lot. Could you tell at that point that Annie Lennox, though, had the voice? I didn't love that Sweet Dreams stuff, but I loved her later work. Oh. But could you tell, like, this is a woman who can really sing? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I could. I, I And, and show, that's why I'm saying, you know, that was something... I loved, but I loved her later stuff. If that would have been what they were serving us to begin with, I would have gone nuts. Because yes, um, oh my gosh, all her later stuff. <clears throat> and she did, um, yeah, with that song. Doo -doo 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 -doo. Oh. Ah, that was so beautiful. That's so yeah. beautiful. And that, and that would have been early 90s. Yeah. Uh, so early so 90s, though, then there was, then there the singer-songwriter the female singer-songwriter, because of course we're all so gendered in the music business, um, that became okay again. And so I kind of started to find a place for myself. Did Madonna do anything for you? Nothing. She bugged me. I had bad yeah. dreams about her. She, I mean, this sounds horrible, but like, this is, I, I'm extremely opinionated. Uh, on about music, <clears throat> I can, I can I really know what I feel because I've, music is everything to me, and I've had an opinion about it my whole life. So punk rock was really cool, yeah, in a lot of ways. But what I don't like about punk rock was that it opened the door to if you want to make a band but you don't have any musical ability, that's cool because then we're just gonna call it punk rock. For me, when Madonna came along, it was like, if you want to be a really hot chick in the music business and be and sexualize yourself and and be fine with showing your boobs and all that and 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 dance really well and then like make music with guys that you're sleeping with and stuff. That's great, too. And that bothered me at the time because that wasn't my route. And it just pissed me off because clearly she was distracting people with the hypersexuality and the the whole sort of the show of it because there really wasn't much of a voice there. 
Yeah, and she and and she was fascinating. I was fascinated by her. If she was on a magazine cover, I would buy the magazine. But I just didn't want to listen to her music, and I hated that it was the music of the time. I just hated that. And reverse engineering it, listening to it now, do you have do you have a sort of do you have the same feeling? Because because I, I to me I kind of go, man. I, they really got to stop playing all those songs. If I, if I walk into the store and hear borderline one more time, I, I <laughs> lose my mind, but I mean, they aren't, the songs to me are not that good. They're melodic though. And I feel like we've lost melody. Uh, like in, in the, uh, there's so much music right now in the world and there's so many ways to access it. I'm just talking about the music that if you turn on your Virgin radio or something mm -hmm. like that, the music that you're going to hear is not very melodic, um, right? Yes. Do you you mean in terms of vocals, or do you mean in terms of pres like uh, production? Top, like top line, like the top line, like the the lyrics and melody. Mm. Um, they don't. They don't. I don't know. They're not written to be as melodic as something like Borderline, um, and harmonically, it it is. Uh, it is a perfect little pop tune. I don't crave it or anything, but I, I do think in a way it's a perfect little pop tune, fluffy as heck. Um, but I don't want to hear it so badly, no. No. What about Taylor Swift? Does that, is there melody there? Is there- Sure, sure, right? You know, I'm not an aficionado on Taylor Swift. My mom, my 85-year-old mom, who's so freaking cool, now knows who Taylor Swift is. And asked me, like, what? Why? And I felt like, geez, I wish I could answer you, Mom. I'm not I'm not sure, but I think it's not a bad thing. Like, um, right? She's not doing any damage. She's 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 for real. And I think we're getting to know Taylor Swift as a human being, and she seems wonderful, lovely. She seems like a pretty great little songwriter. I watched a documentary on her and the way she just threw together, you know, again, pop lyrics with a pop melody, great rhythms. She's got talent. So why she's massive? Um, well, I think it's her own doing. Yeah, some business savvy, some acumen yeah. is involved. Yeah. I was going to ask the same question your mom asked. I was going to go, I was literally <laughs> going to say, Taylor Swift, what? Why? What <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not quite sure. And why there has to be like just one. Why can't, uh, you know, that's also irritating. Um, I don't know. But I, I really think it's because of Taylor. And I think Taylor willed it. And for that, I absolutely adore her and applaud her. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the sort of the the defense of her, uh, well, she writes her own songs. I think, well, so does Sarah Bareilles, so did Laura Nero, sort of. I mean, Stevie Nicks. I mean, she's not doing. She's not a pioneer in that regard. No, <laughs> no, right? She's not. She's not. But I think a lot of um, artists of the past ten years maybe write their songs with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like they're sitting in their bedroom with the guitar. At, like everyone you mentioned and everyone I've loved and Taylor Swift probably is starting some her songs that way, I think. But I don't know. Yeah. There seems like there's an assembly line or a pit crew of of production and crafting. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. When you in terms of being front loaded with before you got to much music, 
front loaded with the singer songwriters of the 70s that you mentioned. I'm guessing Joni Mitchell. I'm guessing, right? Maybe Laura yeah. I don't know. I'm guessing. Yeah. <clears throat> I would say I found Joni Mitchell. Uh, I found Joni Mitchell later because I was just a little too young to appreciate Joni Mitchell when Joni Mitchell was on the radio and stuff. Um, and and someone, when I was at summer camp, uh, gave me a copy of Blue when I was about like 17. And I was like, what just happened? What just happened? You know, uh, yes. And then I became a massive Joni fan. I got to Blue at 20. So okay, I was late there too. Um, but, you know, I would think every Canadian would get issued a copy of Blue at first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Joni, you know, Gordon Lightfoot was maybe to me more popular than Joni, even in Canada. Um, because I guess because Jody, Joni is so esoteric and so such a genius that, you know, she's not the uh, a working man's um, type of music. So she still just floats in the breeze here. I don't I don't know that every single Canadian is like, Joni. Yeah. Well, when by the time the Indigo Girls rolled around and that sort of a few years later ushered in the Lilith Fair mm. movement. Right. And there were the girls. There were the songwriters. There were the ones that you were looking for. Those were the strong female voices of women that were writing really bold, strong, literate, wonderful songs. And there seemed to be this gold rush of of artists. At that point, did you go, oh, there they are. That's yeah. finally years, all these years later. There we go. Yeah. And for me, it was great timing because that is when I created Angels and Ordinary Men. And that's that's when stuff started to happen for me. And of course, it was because of that. It was because chicks were in. What was your relationship with Alanis? Did you know her? Are you a fan? I, I love her. I, I, I knew her. Um, just before Jagged Little Pill. Uh, and she was adored by everyone. Who, like, she she is an amazing person. And I don't think she's changed because she's just that kind of girl. And that's an insanely amazing voice. It's an insanely amazing voice and um, ability to express herself with no holds barred ever. Uh, and... That always blew my mind. I think expression is expressing oneself through lyrics. So here, she blew it open. Um, but I think on a little bit before her, I think Liz Fair was mm. certainly not the voice, but Liz no. Fair was doing something lyrically on the indie rock end. And I think that both those sort of met in this kind of confluence of great timing, great cultural shift. And then you had this amazing kind of crop of brilliant female musicians this is in the you know obviously early 90s and so for you that was kind of the pocket wasn't like when you were emergent yeah I I think um truly definitely it was I think that that the uh the edge the edginess of the people you just mentioned was what um the in the suits <laughs> uh wanted they didn't so my first version of angels and ordinary men was different than the one 
that came out because I was urged to um, to create more edge. Really? Yeah. And and instead of saying no, because uh, <laughs> I was such a pleaser, <laughs> I said oh, I could do that. I could do that. Um, and that is like something I have nightmares about still. Wait, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I love that album so much. I was telling you, I Thank you. just love it. And I'm trying Thank to imagine you. what the iteration you're referring to sonically. What's the difference? I didn't have as much like jangly electric guitars, mm. and uh, it wasn't as grungy at first. It was a little more uh, middle of the road. But middle of the road was kind of, uh, uh, you know, like swearing. <laughs> it just wasn't. People would didn't I I thought people wouldn't want to touch me. I mean the suits because, um, because I had a lot of record labels courting me, but something wasn't quite there. Right, I was doing the lunches and I was going to the offices, and they were like, you know, one guy said to me, "You're." You're a, you're a polka dot tie in a drawer full of striped ties. So I thought that was bad. Well, now I would say, yes, I am. <laughs> but then I was like, okay, like, what do you mean? What? Okay. And so then I got a manager and the manager was like, you got to be more alternative. Blah, 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 blah. And so I, 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 so there are songs on the album that weren't there at first that were put there and created for that. So they wanted you to kind of like, like scruffy it up a little bit. Yeah. It's funny because I, I would never describe it as a scruffy album. It's no, so- it cu- you couldn't describe me as scruffy. <laughs> I'm so, no one's, I'm no one's, really not scruffy. No one's but- ever said that scruffy Wendy Lands. <laughs> <laughs> that five o'clock shadow. Yeah. Um, I'm not scruffy. And I'm also, yeah, I'm not, um, yeah, I think I, I, I appreciate elegance and sophistication. And so, um, yeah, I felt like I left that a little bit. I felt like I compromised maybe a bit too much, but anyway. It's interesting. I, you know, you must have been at the time in your, I'm guessing your early 20s mm-hmm. at the time, right? And it's hard. It's very difficult. I always say that I learned to say no. I'm 53 now. I learned it about six months ago. Just Yes, to me too. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm still learning. It's so, it's for some reason, and I don't know what it is, and it could be the background, saying no feels like you're going to just, like, kill people with it, you know, that right. it's it's a gun. Uh, and and um, saying yes, I guess, you know, there's no conflict when you say yes, only inside yourself, but you don't have to deal with uh, conflict, but I think people who do have great success know how to deal with conflict, know how to say no, know how to come back with how about this, know how to say you might not believe in this now, but I do. So, you know, trust me. I think I wish I would have been like that when I was young, but how could I? I was who I was. And that's getting back to Madonna. I think that is somebody to me who looked like she was not going to say yes when she meant no. That might be the secret. Absolutely. Right. And that might be the real genius of Madonna is being an out-of-the-box no person, saying no, her vision, right? And those kinds of artists, that sort of, that kind of self-empowerment at such a young age, I mean, that is something now at my age, I go, 
I got to marvel at that. I, I agree. I absolutely agree. I marvel at that. And I think it's amazing. I have a 20 year old daughter and I'm trying so hard to not make her a yes person. And I think she's, she's better than I was. It's hard. It's difficult, but yeah. no, wait a second. I love that album so much, Wendy. It is just to me. I listened to that and the album that Sade's album at the time that had come out. I don't remember which one it was. Oh. Those are the two albums I listened to nonstop. It's smooth, so cool. beautiful. Oh, I just love that album. So, but it's interesting to hear you say that, man, I wish I hadn't compromised there or there or put that thing there. Is there, would you ever release the early version of it? Or do you, has that been something that you've been tempted to do? Yeah, I'm even tempted to re-record the early version of it. Um, I've talked about it a lot, actually, because I think um, a lot of those songs, I mean, I love that you have to explain to me being in the U.S., you have to explain how you know it because yeah, how you know it. I just sounded so Canadian. How you know it because it didn't really, I don't, here. yeah, it didn't. Right. Like, what's the story? How did you get it? One wonders, right? Like how in one, the devil. Especially the one who created it. and. And had so much conflict within the record label, like, guys, have, uh, you know, you, you have to just sort of sit there and watch them throw your spaghetti against the wall. And it's the best spaghetti you ever made. So how did it land in your life? Yeah, because I was going to ask you, I don't think it had a release in the U.S. I don't think so. No, it did not. And you were on, you were on Sony or were you on? I was on EMI. Right. Um. Yeah, and I had a publishing deal with Warner so uh, in the U.S., so I don't know. How did you get it? What What's the story? So I had a friend who worked at the label in Canada because I was a journalist. Oh. And I said to her specifically, I said, you got to send me stuff that isn't going to come out in the U.S. I want to hear like real Canadian music that is something that that because I wanted that I wanted the jump on my peers. Yeah, right. I want to write that. about stuff that wasn't being written about. And so I ended up, that's how I got turned on to a lot of bands like the Philosopher Kings. Oh, they were so great. Weren't yes. they great? Yeah. They were so great. And I think John, uh, who I interviewed back then, is from Montreal, like you are. Yeah. So do you know John? No. Okay. No. So Philosopher Kings, and then this band called the Soul Attorneys. That's really familiar beautiful album their first album you got to check mm. it out i think you i will, will love it soul attorneys huh. and wendy lance and so these albums landed in my lap and she gave me a lot of there were a lot of sort of very regional you know canadian artists that I weren't bet. crossing over and yeah. i listened to yours and i just immediately fell in love with it i just went there it is it was just beautiful wow. and it was seamless and i would drive around all summer listening to it and ah. uh just really hit me and I've carried it with me for, for all these years. And you're someone who I've always wanted to sort of, you know, say to you, it's so nice to say to you face to face. I love what you, what you. Thank did you. That means a great deal to me. I, I just, I, that means so much to me because I wrote it for you. You know, I, I, I created it for the like-minded souls out there in the world. And as much as I say, you know, I, I compromised in some ways, in a lot of ways, I did not. So you are hearing a ton of, um, you know, stuff that I'm still proud of and lyrics that I sweated over. 
uh, with my husband, by the way. I, uh, he He's my husband still. Isn't that crazy? I'm pointing. He's upstairs. He's, he's he, it's our album. Like now I feel like, you know, I was also told not to wear my wedding rings back in those days. Can you imagine? Really? Yeah. My drummer and the guy who co-wrote every single song with me uh, is my husband. We got married then. We got married in 1995. So we were you know, that was our life together. So he was your musical partner and your life partner at the same yeah. time. Yeah. And so, yeah. and you were, so when you made the album, you were already married. No, you were, we weren't. Okay. We weren't married yet. And then it's it comes somehow, out and they say, somehow we survived. <laughs> we survived and got married because boy, it was, uh, there was some, there was some knock them down, drag them outs because that's how you get good stuff. I think that's exactly how you get good stuff. And so you got married and then the company said to you, when you don't wear the wedding ring, we want people. My to manager, my manager, answer. Cliff. Hi, Cliff. But uh, why? What's the, well, who cares? Like, how why old you... school is that? I don't, school. yeah. And of course, so I didn't. Like, again, doing that, yes, let's not have any conflict. I won't wear my wedding rings. What? I don't know. It's bizarre. That's so insane. Yeah, and it made me feel maybe like um, like I shouldn't call him my husband or I don't know. It's so stupid. So now that I have the opportunity to talk about it, I will say that, you know, like we came together through music. We created that album and then went on to create more. And um, isn't that amazing? And that we're still married and his yeah. drums are right out there. You know, we still we're still deeply, deeply into um creation mazel on that That's thank you i love that and i know because i imagine in interviews they're like so how did you start writing these songs and you're like that guy over there we exactly. start like you have to like pretend yeah, exactly exactly love this person <laughs> i know so crazy so stupid but yeah. the album you did get nominated for a juno i mean it did well right yeah it did it did and that was a big thrill Oh, it was such a thrill. It felt so validating. I remember being in a, oh, I was on the road and I was in Ottawa and it was this weather that we're having this dark, gloomy weather. And uh, I, I, you know, every day when you, when you're, when you have a record deal and you're kind of like trying to climb the charts, you know, every day you find out your chart number and which tours you did get and which tour you didn't get. And so something didn't work. Something was not good. And I felt and I'm such a turbulently emotional person. You know, it's never, I never feel a little bit bad about something. I'm just crushed. I'm crushed. You know, oh, Wendy, you dropped a number in the charts. Crushed. So I was having some kind of crushed moment in this awful hotel room in Ottawa by myself. And then I found out somebody called me from my record label and told me that I was nominated for a Juno. And I just remember thinking, see, things work out. Things work out. They do. So you didn't know that the album was was doing so well in terms of critically and like the response to it was that was a surprise to you that um there were some good reviews there was there were lots of good reviews no I thought well respected but also yeah. the competition is always ferocious so when it's awards time and you're not supposed to care about awards time but I find I found it very validating and I needed that validation at the time I was just that kind of gal so 
Um, sure. But then it makes you say they like me. They really like me. It's just that Sally Field thing of, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, it's really real. Just felt great. But I think we're all that kind of gal. I think we, I hope so. need, I think we are too, whether yeah. we admit it or not. Am I right? Because everyone who's like, oh, I don't care about awards, awards, whatever. Like, come on. Really? No, it's, it's, so you go to the Junos and you must have felt like, wow, it's all happening now, win or lose. Oh, yeah. And I remember, I remember being introduced to Robbie Robertson that night by our amazing A&R guy. Tim was our A&R guy, Tim Trombley. He was absolutely amazing. He wasn't hands-on enough in my thing, and I should have fought for that too. But uh, there was Robbie Robertson. There was me. And Tim introduced me like I was the new, like I was the next thing. And there was Robbie Robertson who was the, the you know, the connection to the, to the old thing. And I felt, I just remember that moment feeling like, I want to feel this feeling. This is one of the feelings I really wanted to feel. And I loved Robbie Robertson and the band so much. And it was, that was, that was a moment from that night for sure. And the nomination was for, for best new. Yeah. Who got it? Terry Clark, who was a, a country artist. And where's Terry Clark now? No idea. No idea. All right. Just... <laughs> La langue de l'amour, ce n'est pas le français. La langue de l'amour, ce n'est pas l'anglais. La langue de l'amour, ce n'est pas parler. Écoutez. Boom, boom.
in terms of then what happened next, because I don't know, because I, I lost track. All I know is that that album and it's just sort of exists in this plane for me. Um, what happened next in terms of follow up, in terms of like what was the next chapter for you? So, OK, I I signed um, a deal where I was guaranteed an American release on my second album, mm. which was very exciting. And it was guaranteed in the small print in my contract. Now, if I called Jim in here, he would be able to explain my husband. He would he would tell you he remembers everything, but he has a cold. I'm not going to do that. But anyway, but then the record label says um, the album has to be has to be um, produced by an American producer. You have to go out there and find an American producer. And that's how you'll get released stateside, whatever. Um, and so that was a whole thing. I met with, I met with Larry Klein, which mm. was very fun. And he called Joni Joan. Well, Joan, blah, 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 Joan. Um, but that also, we uh, felt a little, I didn't, I felt like he was looking at it as uh, how much am I going to make? And how many days are we going to be in the studio? Three days? Yeah, I could probably do. You know, I didn't want that. Um, and I met with this guy named Roger Moutinol. In Nashville, I have no idea what happened to him. He could be huge. I have no idea. Uh, I met with Paul Fox in LA, who uh, passed away about a year ago. Who, if you look up Paul Fox, he 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 produced some cool bands. Nothing that was really me ish. Um, whoever I was getting sort of paired up with, it didn't feel great, or they didn't want to, or I didn't want them. And suddenly, it all started to fall apart. It just all started to fall apart, and. I, I, I left the label. So, um, yeah, I, I left because they weren't going to give me what I wanted. Listen, it wasn't really my, it was, again, it was like my manager. I don't really remember how it happened, but I was released from my contract. And then I still had a, I still had a publishing deal in LA with Warner and that was cool. So my husband and I said, let's move to L.A. and go be songwriters and see if I can get another record deal in L.A., blah, blah, blah. So I moved to L.A., was with Warner Chapel, which was so much fun. We wrote a song with Paul Williams. You know who Paul Williams is? Of course. You know, yes. Right. Paul Williams was like wrote like the greatest songs of the 70s. And I was deeply, deeply into this movie called Phantom of the Paradise. Of he brought course. all the music to it. I brought in my Paradise album. He, he signed it. <laughs> um, so I wrote with him. I, I wrote with Melissa Manchester, who became like um, like a big sister to me. She was incredible. Uh, yeah, we got into this whole songwriting world. Um, and then I auditioned to sing um an album that was going to be the companion album to this movie that was about to come out called The Pianist, which did come out, which was a huge movie. It won the Oscar, it won the Palme d'Or. Um, so I did do that as well. And that was a really cool thing. That was on Universal. And if you if you listen to that, it's very, it's also when Nora Jones came out. And I think John Leftwich, who produced it beautifully, um, I think he was very inspired by the Nora Jones thing. So if you listen to this album, Wendy Lands, listen to this title. It's so sexy. Wendy Lands sings the music of Vla of the pianist Vladislav Spielman. I know. It's a very sexy title, but it's a beautiful <laughs> album. 
I recorded that. And that got great reviews. And that was really fun. And I was pregnant. So I couldn't go on tour. I couldn't do much. Had Chloe fell madly in love with this baby that I had. Was like driving to songwriting dates, you know, uh, on on the Ventura Freeway, you know, leaving my kid with a, a nanny while my husband was doing whatever gigs he could do, weddings and whatnot. And I wasn't seeing my baby. And I remember having this songwriting date with um, the sons of Tito Jackson at their compound, trying to write a song for Lindsay Lohan. And I was like, hey, this is so not me. It's somebody else. Somebody else might find this really fun, but I don't like it. I, I hated it. And I just thought, if I go home, my mom's there. My kid's going to know my mom, my mother-in-law, my family, you know, what is my sacrifice for? I'm so in love with my child and I'm not really doing what I want to be doing anyway, musically. So I came home and that was great. And I felt like the jazz bug hit me because of that album I made. That was the companion CD to the pianist. It was very jazzy. And I fell in love with this cool radio station here called Jazz FM that was playing the absolutely, so I kind of like, I'm very rabbit hole. So I rabbit hole that radio station and I rabbit hole the jazz of the moment, um, contemporary jazz. And I really started eating it up and loving it. And as I was getting older, let's face it, um, when you're not young and you're not that known, it's going to be really, really hard to stay in the um, popular music billboard chart world you know like so why not niche it up so i i niched into the jazz world and that was really fantastic and i made two albums um that are i call them jazz kissed because they're they're not ella fitzgerald by any stretch but they're you know in that Nora jonesy meets shelby lynn kind of mm. way and you know, did all kinds of all kinds of interesting performances uh, of those. And then I ended up going to Poland and performing in Poland um, because that Spielman album got re-released there and it was a big hit. So I went there and then I played all my songs there and that was exciting. And um, yeah, so those are the those are the other recordings that I did. I'll let you talk now because I could go on. But no, I you I, up I to know. a certain point. I caught I've caught you up to a certain point. And then the other thing is, is this thing called earning money to, to eat, which, oh. you know, <laughs> it's so funny, but if you're, um, just making these nice boutique, uh, things and you're gigging every now and then it's not money to live on. It's not money to feed your family. It is not money to save or, you know, it's not, it's just horrible. It's a horrible, the music, you know, you know, we're so undervalued at this point it's pathetic yeah so hmm, i you know i'm an actor also and i've been studying improv since 2010 uh, with the same amazing teacher kate ashby uh and so i wrote myself a show um and i thought i'm not going to do my own music i'm going to do songs everybody already knows and loves let's see what happens with that <laughs> so that was fun i i wrote a show called what the world needs now and it was all 
Bacharach music and all music from that era. And I based it upon my my youngest memories of music, you know, going into the 70s, blah, 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 and played some really beautiful performing art centers and stuff. And it was fun, but I felt like I was pushing to hang on to stay in this music thing. And then COVID hit. Mm. And then I couldn't, I couldn't perform anymore. And you know what? I went, oh my God, for the first time in my whole life, I don't have to push that music boulder up a hill anymore. And it felt like a bit of a relief, I got to say. So that's where my music career got to. And I haven't really done anything musically since 2020. So you hit pause and you found that COVID actually was sort of a relief. It sort of gave you a moment to go, just exhale and take stock and not be on this kind of treadmill. And the idea that you're feeling, it's really interesting. It's almost causing me to feel panic where if you're an artist and you're realizing like the hourglass is turned over and the sand is going through and the clock is ticking, that must be an immeasurable amount of pressure. It's horrible. It's gross. And and it's like, and people are tactless about it too, you know? How old are you now? Because <laughs> that right. matters? Because why does that matter? Like, I'm better. I'm older. I'm better. I'm more confident. And my craft has gotten better. And so what? But I know we live in a, a pretty warped society. Uh, and I, I, I've learned that if anything feels like you're pushing too hard, you you start to push uh, into desperation, mm. and desperation, it's it shows, it it's it shows. It's like beads of sweat that everyone else can see all over you, and uh, as soon as you you get there, you gotta you gotta turn around and go somewhere else. You just have to, just have to take a, a little detour. I think. And move into ease. What's easy? What's what's easy and enjoyable and great? So that's where I went. And don't you find that as we get older, that struggle is less appealing anyway? Oh, my God. Oh, you are so right. Like touring, like in a club wagon and not sleeping and then doing, you know, a six o'clock a.m. radio interview and then going to a you know morning show like ew just ew 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 yeah yeah Yeah. I remember when when social media first got started I would see like indie rock bands that I loved growing up on their on their pages people would say you guys should come to wherever and I thought like it's so hard for a band to just come to your town oh my god it is they don't get that yeah yeah it's it's so hard. It's so much harder than you could ever imagine. And also, like, yes, you can get grants, but the thing is, is that you only find out if you've got the grant once you got the tour because you have to prove, like, we have great grants here, but you have to prove that you got a tour in order to get a grant. And then if you don't get the grant, then you can't do the tour. Mm. So, and and you have to wear so many hats as well. I find that, like, who who said, like, just because we can write songs and perform them and come up with lyrics and melodies and dream and create that we also have to be, you know, wonderful publicists and 
tour managers, you know, you name it, because that is the reality of not being a, a big act. It's on you. Ew. So I just, that's exhausting. I mean, the pressure of, I mean, being a mother, being a wife, having a family and realizing like, I need to put groceries on the table for these people, right? Like, yeah, I need to be the pressure to support a family as an artist. Um, that's a whole other thing. I mean, that that must just be an incredible amount of stress. Yeah, I started noticing that all my friends who were continuing along and are continuing along with their careers, um, small careers, mm. small, but they keep making albums and, you know, they don't have kids. <laughs> and mm. some of them don't even have partners. And it's very, very, very different. Very different. You know, they, they can they can be married to that um and yeah they can be responsible for you know the the compromise that they're making if it is a compromise i don't even know i don't want to i'm not judging because i i i'm i love that they're still doing what they're doing and that they figured out that they can but i did take note that you know they don't have kids and i love my kid so much who's not even a kid anymore but um i you know she she comes first and my marriage is so important to me too also don't you think that there is ego can sort of silo you off to a place where you don't realize that you've um, almost boxed yourself in you are ex yes i think i think a lot of it is ego i think a lot of it is ego and that and that is a frightening thing right yeah. oh you know what I've saved ten thousand dollars, so I'm I'm gonna make a new CD and do a photo shoot and it's done. I'm gonna put it on social media and I'm gonna look like I am happening. You know, that's kind of that is the, the the music might be great, but where's it all going and how are you making that money back? And you know, I do think that you get a little caught up in 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 what's feeding your ego. Yes, I absolutely do. And I'll tell you two people who I think one person did it brilliantly and one person didn't. And I've, and I'm, it's, it's so heartbreaking for me to even talk about, but I think like, I think Sade was perfect because you have this amazing talent. She's beautiful. She's intelligent. She's sophisticated. She's just, her talent is, is beyond the scope. And she protected herself long before social media. I think her, it seems to me that she made decisions that would protect herself from the noise, the chatter, the how old are you Brilliant. now stuff, right? The take yeah. off your wedding ring. The I think she rejected <laughs> all that at a very young age. Um, I think she was probably even more headstrong than Madonna because she <gasps> really protected herself, that. right? Yes, yes. And someone who didn't do it, who I think is even, you know, I don't want to say more talented, but to me, the person I'm going to mention to me is one of the eternal greats who didn't live long and who is so absurdly gifted. I can't even get my head around it sometimes. And that's Amy Winehouse. Yeah, I knew you were going to say, as soon as you said absurdly gifted, you can't even get, oh, I feel right? that it way It was all there. Well. It could, was all there. Uh, I could just cry my head off when I think about Amy Winehouse. 
who wasn't protected. And I think, I don't think her problem was ego. Cause I think she was doing some really just, I don't, I didn't know. I think it was, was I think it wasn't, I think it was lack of ego. Right. I think it was the feel, never really believing the, the hype, but the, the truth of her great, 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 great talent. And 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 wanting love more than you know, having that horrible boyfriend, wanting wanting to be loved by a cool guy, mm. you know, that you know, uh, there are parts of us um, that stay a certain age, right? And they just don't come along for the ride. So there were parts of her, I think, that were just so young and needed needed that boyfriend, needed to be so thin. Um, Oh, it's just absolutely crazily heartbreaking because if she would have gone clean and sober for a while, she'd be older now. And can you imagine? Like, she she'd be even better than she was. Oh yeah, yeah. And she was that's a knockout voice, isn't it? Yeah, a knockout, a knockout voice. And the um, to me, like what I love about her is. None of it is pre-thought. It's all just in the moment. It's like improv. It's just, you know that Amy did not sing the same song twice, the same way twice, ever, ever, ever. Yeah. No, that's supreme talent. That is, that's just like knock you on your butt. Like, what is that? (laughs) I know. I saw the documentary and there was like a plan to make a, an album with the roots. And I think like, what would that have been like? That would have been right. amazing. Holy <gasps> cow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But oh. not protected. Not, not, not someone protected. Who... No. You are so right. Yeah. No. So, but the idea, but I'm looking at your career arc. I think you, you've, you started to really sort of say like, I need to walk away from this. I, I know COVID sort of made some decisions for you, but it seems like you're you were sort of getting more comfortable with the idea of like I'm going to not do this and I'll start to do that and then I'll do this and then I'll do that. Yes. right. You take more control. Yeah, I took more control, and you know, I started off in this business n- having no mentors. I didn't know how you do a, this thing, this you know, become a singer songwriter thing. I just knew that I wanted to be in showbiz. As I said, I, I, I wanted to act. I wanted to sing. I, I didn't know so much the difference between being a singer songwriter and being a singer for hire. And so I did it all. I did Les Mis. Like I did it all. I did, I did every single little thing. And I kind of love that. And I don't think we should be boxed in. You know, I just watched Maestro last night. Have you watched that yet? The mm, Leonard I Bernstein? Seen it. Yeah, I need to. Yeah, I I really loved it. Um, I think it's some people don't. I don't know why. I loved it. I was in the right headspace for it. And and what keeps coming up is that people say to the press says to Leonard Bernstein, like, what are you? Are you a composer or are you a conductor? Are you a you know, like it's Leonard Bernstein? F off. Like, and it's like I'm very creative. Uh, go away. You know, if you can't figure out how to classify me, that's your problem. But I, so I've always gone from this to that, to this, to that. And through the whole time I've been a voiceover actor, the whole way I paid for my indie version of angels and ordinary men was with voiceover money. So 
That has been the greatest gift of my life. And when COVID came, and here I am in my voiceover studio, and I had all the tools, I was just like, I'm going to just go harder on my VO. And I did. And it's more creative than you would imagine, you know? And I, we also create, um, I also teach voiceover. I, I have lots of students. I coach classes. I have two classes a week. And my husband and I also produce voiceover demos, which is what you need in order to have a VO career. You need a demo that sounds like real commercials that really suit your vibe. And those are like little albums. I, I, I use, you know, stock music for every single VO and I find the coolest music. I subscribe to all these music licensing sites and they're all like little albums to me. So I am still being very creative, very creative. I saw on your site, Wendy uses this gear and I thought, well, I have all the wrong stuff. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, and I've become a gearhead, <clears throat> which is absolutely crazy. Yeah. Uh-oh. Well, yeah. I think for podcasting, excuse me. <clears throat> I think for podcasting, you, you're you not supposed to have as sophisticated gear as you are for like a broadcast, like a, a commercial or something. I'm not sure why, but I think podcasts are supposed to sound a little more homemade. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think so. Where it's more of a conversation, whereas, you know, getting warmth on a mic or getting that sort of you know, modulating to a certain level is not as important. Um, but yes, but you're, but you're in terms of, of voiceover work, it, yeah, it must be incredibly creative. I know that I, I hear Will Arnett do a lot here in yes. the States. He does. He does a excellent. lot. He's so good, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of actors that we love do a lot of VO. Um, obviously in animated stuff, but, but they do commercials as well. It's, it's really, um, it's super creative in that I audition all day, every day. And it's kind of like up to me as to how I see the commercial in my head, you know, what the finished product's going to be and who I'm going to be for my audition. And then who they're going to hire. Are they going to hire like, you know, the, uh, the sexy me, or are they going to hire like the kind of nerdy me or, you know. It's super creative. I absolutely, I love it. And it, but it doesn't have the same pressure maybe uh, that I've put upon myself to write the best song I've ever written in my life, which is what I always want to write when I start writing a song. It has to be the best and it'll haunt me and haunt me and haunt me. Well, in, in the US, there was a trend that I noticed about a decade ago. Where when I was a kid, it was like, you're in good hands with Allstate. And I was like, oh, that's the Allstate guy. Now someone will do it and I'll go, wait, that's Kiefer Sutherland, right? Now, yes, right? So actors, you know, film and television actors started to really gobble up those VO spots that used to be reserved for, right, for just voiceover people. VO actors, you are right? so right. Is that happening in Canada as well? And has, in Canada, has that been a trend too? Um, well, I think, you know, Canada and the States, especially when it comes to television, we're not that separated. We do have our own commercials, definitely, but we have a lot of yours too. Mm. So, so yeah, of course that's infiltrated Canada. Absolutely. But there's so much 
voiceover work out there because voiceover work is not just commercials. There's, there, it's not all broadcast. It, there's so much of it that um, that's okay. They can, they can get their famous actors and they can pay them quadruple scale, <laughs> um, which they do. That's okay because there's still way enough for us. I would imagine video games are also a place where there's a lot of voiceover work. Oh, yeah. There's tons. And I haven't really dug into that yet. Um, I want to. And I've uh, I've had a few auditions and I've been shortlisted for a few things. I haven't had that happen yet. But that's really fun, too. Really fun. I'm completely out of order. But I meant to ask you <laughs> an hour ago, when you were front-loaded with the singer-songwriters of the 70s, who did that for you? Was your mother a music fan? Like, how did that, how did oh, you get your consciousness in um, terms of not that? Not my mother. My mother was a classical music fan. And so the first music I ever heard was, you know, Beethoven. Um, I think camp, again, I went to camp for 10 years. Camp Kennebec, woo! I was such a camp person and I ended up becoming head of drama and directing all the musicals and my friends and I wrote the musicals. So um, camp, camp music, the, 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 the man who owned and ran my summer camp, his name was Steve Hannon. He was a music junkie and he especially loved female artists. And we had speakers up all over our camp and music just played all day and all night. Um, and it was that music. It was, it was, you know, uh, Carol King and it was Janice Ian and Laura Nero and Van Morrison and Bob Dylan and and so it was Camp. Camp did it. Camp did it. Worth every Kemp penny. Did it all. Camp did all the good stuff. <laughs> when did you realize that you could sing? Like when did you realize Kemp. like oh I can do this? Camp. Camp. Kemp. Again with Camp. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I I kind of um. I kind of knew I could sing uh, from singing around the house and singing with my pals. And then I auditioned for the play at camp and I got the lead and my life changed. Truly, my life changed because that was my first moment of validation. It was like getting nominated for a Juno Award. <clears throat> it was, you're you're the best singer at camp. You know, I, I was that girl and that really gave me a sense of myself. And I never lost that. I never lost that. My claim to fame hasn't changed very much. For any parents listening to this podcast with young children, I mean, I think the message here is to send them to camp. This is the this is basically <laughs> why I'm here. I'm head of the Camp Association of North America. <laughs> right. <laughs> send your kids but, I mean, to camp. No, I sent my kids like to camp. She didn't like it. So she didn't like. Oh, your your nah. kid didn't like camp. Yeah. Nope. But it must have felt like you discovered a superpower being able to sing. Yeah. Like that. I think to be able to define yourself as standing out for something when you're young is unbelievably helpful because a lot of kids struggle with that. Um, and you, and because I think there's a pressure. What are you good at? What are you good at? How am I going to know you're different than that kid? How are you better than that other kid? Mm. Um, I, I think a lot of adults do that to kids. So I felt like I had this this gift. <laughs> and was I even that good? No, but I was just the best one at camp. I also felt super creative. Um, started writing songs when I was really little too. 
And I just felt like, you know, I think um, being myself was difficult, period. I was one of, I'm one of those people, I'm, I'm, I'm like an extroverted introvert. Like I really struggle with the perception of myself. And when I was young, I really had trouble. But as soon as I was singing, creating, singing what I created, I felt and I feel like I am unabashedly myself, hiding nothing. Otherwise, uh, I hid a lot when I was young, and now I'm I'm much better. But it it's it was it it was like the channel of purity of to how to purely be myself because I just felt like I couldn't otherwise. So it was weirdly like a bit of a lifesaver, and also incredible to, like you said, to be able to define yourself like oh I'm I'm this I'm that person. kid yeah yeah. I'm that kid. It it makes you a little famous in your little in my little Montreal world. I got known, you know, and and it felt good, and and it gave me confidence to just go for my dreams. And thank goodness, my mom really did not stand in my way of that at all. Like I think, what were you crazy? She said, "I knew, I knew, I just knew, I just knew," and I didn't, I didn't worry about you. Is it interesting to see your daughter also when she defined herself, whatever that was? Yeah. Kind of cool to see that. My daughter, I just have to brag. My daughter is such a musician. Oh my God. She is too. Yeah. But she is like, I always say she's really <laughs> like, honestly, she's, she, she is severely talented. Um, so she has her little journal. She's writing lyrics in all the time and they are out of this world. And um, she's she's writing some killer songs right now. So you might just you might just interview Chloe Gillard next. Who knows? She might be next. Yeah. And I'll tell you something. When she has some music to put out into the world, I'm going to. She is going to be on here. I'm, I'm going to want to interview her, Alex. Listen, I'm going to save her a spot. She has a spot guaranteed. You just let me know. That's wonderful. It, do you find that you are, by the way, where did you do Les Mis? Did you do it in, in Canada? I was in the original Canadian production. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It was really cool. And did you do high school, high school theater as well? Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh yeah. Theater kid. Oh yeah. 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 Um, just out of curiosity, do you find yourself three in the morning? You go, uh oh, a song is trying to write itself. That yeah. okay. I find it um alone when I'm alone. I'm not alone that much. <laughs> I'm not alone that much. As soon as I'm alone, songs come. And I and I take my phone and I put it on record. So I have I have ideas. It's not gone away forever. But what I'm loving about this is because I've sort of said, I'm letting you go, music. I'm letting you go. It's coming back to visit in this, in this new way of a better flow um, that has no, uh, like, there's nothing that I feel like I should be or have to be doing to stay current or in a certain genre or anything. It's just kind of flowing. Melodies, ideas, lyrics. Um, yeah. So every now and then 
it just kind of comes. I, I really do feel like it just like enters. But don't you feel that the antenna for that is now the the signal is not blocked by yeah. by any kind of pressing financial need, by yes. any kind of worry about time, right? Yes. By any worry yes. about ego or nominations or record sales. It now it's sort of it's free to be transmitted. So free. <laughs> as free as it was <clears throat> in my early, it's as free as it was probably in my writing of Angels and Ordinary Men and and hadn't been since because of everything that it it had to carry with it. Yes, the feeding of the family, the pleasing of the suits, the, um, you know, will this get me a grant? Well, you know, anything, everything that it all had to be for me. It was too much. So yes, I do feel this beautiful flow with no responsibility attached. There's a great line that Joe Strummer has in a song in the road to rock and roll where he says, on the road to rock and roll, there's a lot of wreckage in the ravine. You know, mm. a lot of people who get destroyed by the industry. And sometimes I don't think they even know that they are being destroyed. I take, to my yeah. mind, someone like Avril Lavigne, who I think has a remarkable voice. Yeah. Powerful, really good voice. I saw her in, you know, mid-career doing, you know, songs like Girlfriend, which are just so, I think, beneath her. I think she's so much better than that. And I feel those are... It didn't even look like that was a choice she had made. It felt like she was sort of urged into that sort of like doing mm. choreography, which she seemed like she was half into. Because I think she's really, really talented. And and I wonder sometimes, I'm curious to hear your take on her, but I'm, I also wonder sometimes if people don't realize I'm being mishandled, I'm being yes. misguided. And how yes. can you know that it's it being so young? Yes, I, I agree. I don't think, I, I don't, think um people understand that at all people don't understand how much of yourself you have to give up and the compromise that you have to make in order to stay to hope to stay relevant let's say right because yeah. who knows um and i'm sure yeah i think that's absolutely tragic and i think we see it a lot sometimes artists that we love get into that rut and then they pull themselves out of it and they go away and they come back and they're rediscovered and they're fresh again. And then sometimes they're just gone. Um, you know, they jump the shark, right? Yeah. 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 I think some artists jump the shark and I, I have seen Avril Lavigne lately and I do wonder what is up. Cause even lately it's just, how does she see herself? Um, or how does she want to be seen or, and, and there's that ego thing of, uh, or a fear-based ego thing of when I was at my biggest, this is the type of girl kid I was. I shouldn't lose that. I shouldn't, I should stay, you know, I should stay edgy and sassy, even though I'm, I have no idea how old Avril Lavigne is now. Is she I don't like know either. 35 or something. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Uh, she's a woman. So yeah, people get mismanaged or they don't have best friends. Um, I have a friend who says that when she sees people who've had too much plastic surgery or, you know, she'll say that that person doesn't have a best friend. Mm. And I think that that's kind of the case with a lot of famous people don't have best friends. They have yes people around them. And 
those people don't always make decisions that are in the artist's best interest. Because there's so much money at stake. And Avril really is a legitimate singer, right? I mean, she can Oh, really yeah. Sing. Absolutely. Absolutely. But so are a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much more than that. Not everyone can be Sade in terms of, of taking control of yourself early on and saying, I'm not going to be manipulated by what you think I should be. Well, and never was she because we've never had another Sade. When you bring her up, I think like she is in her own lane. Yeah. There's nobody else in that lane. How did she do that? I know. How did she do that at a young age? You know, that's crazy. So fresh. I remember hearing um, your, lo your Love is King. Is that what it was called? Oh, that's a beaut, yeah. Your Love is King. I love that. And I was like, my God, who is this? How does she know she doesn't have to do more than that? <laughs> right? right? How does she know that that's enough? And she seems to just know that about everything. She's a very <laughs> confident, smart gal, I guess. There's a minimalism in everything that she does. And I yeah. think she never gave anything away. Yes, exactly. And that's the trick, right? Yeah, I'd be very curious to know how she was brought up, what her well. story is. <laughs> I'm saying she was very, very well, very yeah. well, yeah, very well. Um, like being taught early on to sort of have agency and have sovereignty in, yeah. and confidence in yourself, like because she could have become some kind of commercial product and she didn't do it. Yeah, just commercial enough. I mean, I'm sure she has a comfortable life. I think so. Yeah, I think it's yeah. pretty ultimate. I think it's pretty ultimate. Yes. Um, so for you, you mentioned acting. What are your, what's happening for you in the future? What is on the, what is simmering on the, on the burner? Will there be acting gigs? Are you, are you looking for stuff? No, because voice acting is acting. It is. Yeah. I, I find the, the visual part like of um, auditioning for stuff and sending in self tapes and all that stuff for on camera. Nah, I'm not into that. Yeah, uh, voice acting it it just really kind of um, it quenches all my thirsts and teaching voiceover, you know, giving, giving, giving. The older you get, I think, or the older I get, the less. And that's also why songs songwriting is weirder to me now because I used to want to write about my feelings and my life, and now I don't want to write about that. Ew, how boring can you get? I I find other people fascinating. So. Um, teaching voiceover is is massively exciting to me helping people with their voiceover careers creating demos for people doing my own v vo's for all kinds of products i just i love it and the vo world is quite nichey and it's very close it's deep and everyone in the vo world were just very vo centric there's a big um conference in march called vo atlanta it's the big one it's the big one i'm going to that i'm so excited um, you know, that's where my mind is. Now, my my brilliant daughter has suggested that we write some songs together. I was just going to ask you that. I was just yeah. going to ask you if there was a collaboration. And if if I do anything, that's what I'll do. And probably Jim will probably join in there, too. So I think there could be some family family creativity going on. It that feels like that would be the coolest thing. Wouldn't that be the coolest thing? Yeah. 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 I know. I think that would be the coolest thing. Sometimes I hear Chloe just like riffing on chord changes and I'm in another room and I will 
to myself quietly, sing a melody to it. She doesn't know who I am. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is so cool. This could be a thing. But it, but I don't want to impose, but at the same time, the door is open. She wants to work with me. So I think I think that could be the next thing that we talk about. I love that. That means I can have all three of you on the podcast. Yeah, we would love it. So you'll come back on. Okay. Fantastic. Love I love it. Thank you, Alex. I am so happy to talk to you. You have no idea. I have been wanting Aww. to talk to you for so long. I think you're marvelous. And I loved this conversation. I absolutely loved this conversation. What a fun um, blind date. Like, I I knew nothing of you. I did listen to one of your Paula Coles. Um, oh. I loved it. Loved her. It also intimidated oh. me. So then I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't listen because she's so brilliant and down to earth and amazing. She's amazing. Yeah, I I, I love her. And the track that you played, that's a, a new, something that's newer of hers, mm. um, I thought was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. She's so, remarkable. But I was so happy when you when you said you were up for this. I thought, oh, thank, that's so cool. So up for it. There you go. Wendy Lance, love her. She's the best. She's so cool. Like an old friend. It felt like I was talking to an old chum from years ago. Um, a pal who I used to call on the phone and say, can you believe the new Brian Adams video on MTV? And she'd say, you mean much music. You're in the United States, punk. Wendy Lands, wendylands.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with Wendy. Check out her voiceover stuff. Because there are classes, there are things, check out what she's doing, buy all her music, drop her a line and tell her she's wonderful, do all that stuff. You can follow me on Twitter, well, what's left of Twitter, at Ember's Editor or on Instagram at Ember's Podcast or email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. BombshellRadio.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with our radio station. And don't forget... I'm not accusing you of forgetting. I know it would never slip your mind, but Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate, and review, and tell all your friends. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Angels and Ordinary Men by the fabulous Wendy Lands. Enjoy it, and thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio. I still don't cry when the feeling aches. I 
Still at this stage, a hero. 